Hello, everyone. I'm Eileen Rochford, CEO of the marketing and strategy firm, The Harbinger Group. Welcome to another edition of our communications podcast, Can You Hear Me? And I'm Rob Johnson, president of Rob Johnson Communications. On this podcast, we like to talk about the most pressing communications issues of the day the companies face. And this week, we want to talk about knowing your audience when delivering your message. We're not talking about knowing your audience as a branding discussion. This isn't about buyer personas and all that great stuff that's critical in marketing. Today, we're talking. We're taking this from an interpersonal perspective. In other words, who are you talking to the people in your various audiences as you go through your job and your life, really? And so internally, that might be members of your C-suite. Maybe it's your board of directors, depending on you know the job that you hold or the employees on the team that you manage. And externally... You have a bunch of different stakeholders from obviously the customers or clients that you deal with, vendors and partners you interact with, and on through as far as the media as a conduit to reaching the public. Yeah. And later on in the podcast, Eileen, I'm going to get into sort of specific audiences. I kind of outlined eight of them where you're not going to come up with a different message for each one of them. You have your central message, right? Mm -hmm. But the way you deliver it to them uh, you really need to be nuanced about it. Mm-hmm. And how you understand the individual needs of each of those audiences, of course. Indeed. Well, if you listen to this podcast, you know we like to share good ideas of others when making our points. And there is one such example of that. It's coming from Dean Brenner, who's the president and founder of the Latimer Group. That's a communication and leadership coaching firm in Connecticut. He talks about being in a presentation with somebody who's leading it that clearly hasn't customized the discussion for the particular audience and feels like it's one size fits all. And Eileen, I know you have an anecdote about something like that a little bit later as well. So we're, we're kind of you know, teasing ahead to some of the things that we're, you're going to hear as we sit here and tell you what we want to talk about right in front of you. Latimer suggests that when tailoring your talking points, you should consider several things among them business context. So in other words, did their company just experience a significant increase or decrease in the stock price? Has the leadership team been consistent or have they had a lot of turnover? You need to make sure that before you go into that meeting, you understand with whom you're meeting and the issues they have dealt with on a business front in the last you know, several months or a year. The next thing is cultural context. Are there nuances of say, body language or tone of voice specific to a region or a country? And what kind of speaking style, assertive or deferential, direct or tactful, works best? You have to ask yourself when you're realizing, who am I talking to? Where do they live in the country? And if they're out of the country, what are some of the customs and cultures that they deal with in their particular country? The next one is personal context. You really need to think about your audience's gender, race, age, and status within the company. Are they going to be more receptive to a message that addresses a problem or one that presents an opportunity? And once you've gotten into that particular meeting, Brenner says there are a couple of things you must do. First of all, collect, have a game plan for how you will elicit new information. Will you try to build five minutes at the beginning for introductions and small talk, which I always find pretty effective, especially when we're dealing with things on Zoom and WebEx and, and the virtual platforms? Or are you going to cultivate your active listening skills? And again, teasing ahead, if I may, Eileen, <laughs> we're going to talk about that a little bit later too, about it's not just good enough to be presenting and having people digesting what you're talking about. It's also important for you to be a good listener. And we have a few ideas about that coming up later in the podcast as well. And then Brenner says, reflect. Now that you have this new information that you've gleaned, you need to think about how to incorporate it into your speech. So you're teeing it up at the beginning. You're talking about, hey, nice to meet you. What do you do? Somebody tells you about their family or their kid's soccer game on the weekend. You know, it's possible to use some of that to personalize it as you are going through your, your speech or your presentation or your pitch, whatever the case may, may be. Everything you collected at the beginning is useful not only to get to know people, but also to be able to reference it. And when you do that, sometimes people always feel like, oh, gosh, he, he, he or she was listening. They, they care about what I'm doing. They're, they're talking to me. I'm, I'm relevant. So that's really important things to consider 
when somebody brings something up at the beginning of a conversation. That is great advice. I really appreciated that article um, that uh, Dean Brenner wrote. I think it was a, a few years ago, but yep. completely still relevant today. And he's getting some great SEO out of that baby. We'll Absolutely. put it in the show notes for sure. For sure. So knowing your audience, um, it isn't just telling them what you think they need to know. I think you guys are getting the idea. And of course, the active listening component. I'll just share in my opinion, I think the most critical part of knowing your audience is the preparation that you put in um, in advance before you even walk in the room. Um, you have to do the work to properly address their needs, goals, current state of affairs, all of those things in order to prepare a message that that they're actually going to hear because in every interaction, there are barriers, you know, to effective communication. We experience them every day in every interpersonal communication or every business communication. And one big barrier to a message being received is the mindset. Um, I encounter a lot of these mindsets, um, or at least this is what I hear uh, in business interactions, um, whether with clients or uh, uh, panels that I'm on, webinars that I participate in, things like that. People, you can you can hear or they often share, oh, this doesn't apply to me, or she does not understand our business. Our situation is totally unique. How often do we hear that? Everybody yeah. seems to think that their situation is totally unique, right? Um, or even along the lines of they don't care about me. They don't even know how I feel. So yeah. imagine all those barriers that you're, they're just built in, you know, they're baked into how people think. So you're walking into every situation, uh, having I, you know, those impediments already and being prepared for how you're going to address them can be the whole difference between an effective presentation or interaction and one that just, you know, completely falls short as we talked about in our intro yeah, putting, this does not apply to me though. That's on yeah. you as the as the as the communicator, right? So if you're sitting there and they may be thinking, they're not going to say that out loud, but they're thinking it internally. That doesn't apply to me. And you would, and you need to be able to say in your pitch or your presentation, here's how this applies to you. Right. You need to really think deep, more deeply about this, how this applies to you. So in case they're thinking that that you have a way to say, no, this does apply to you. And then I understand your point, Eileen, about the people that feel like their situation is totally unique, but we're talking about communication here. Mm -hmm. So I oftentimes hear people say, well, what's your sector? And I'm like, it's communication. They're like, what is it? Healthcare? Is it insurance? Is it, you know, food service? I'm like, no, if you have a problem, and, and I understand there are certain things that you need to be hyper-focused on for your particular industry. But as we talk about communication here, um, it, it does apply, you know, it, it, it isn't totally unique because there are mm -hmm. communication issues that may be unique to you, but there's so many of them that are generalist that are, if you use better, if you use better practices here, you're going to have more success there. And then the, I, they don't know how I feel again, that's back on you. That's about preparing and making sure that you do know how they feel. And there's some certain ways that you can get that information in advance. And I know you've employed them before. Definitely. And I'll tell you why um, I highlight preparation is the number one predictor of whether or not you're going to have a successful interaction as a communicator or communicating with your team interpersonally, making a formal presentation, any of those things. Um, it's because when you gain deeper understanding of your audience, um, you ultimately accomplish several important things. And this is getting back to the biases, uh, preconceived notions that people walk into uh, when they sit down in front of you or, or when you're on Zoom, doesn't matter, um, that they may not even know they have. But I can tell you from time and time again, having this experience, the this doesn't apply to me mindset is um, embedded in our brains deep, deep, mm -hmm. deep. So as a communicator, as a presenter, as a person who's trying to influence, um, that's your number one goal um, when preparing your messaging um, is to break through that immediately at the onset so that the rest of the time you spend together isn't hindered by that, um, you know, kind of um, thought of this doesn't apply to me. Sure. So it, this is what happens when you put in the, the, pres the uh, preparation in advance. Um, by doing so and, and reflecting knowledge of these folks and their situation, you're demonstrating respect 
for them, for the, you know, the people you're communicating with, because you're not coming in with the one size fits all message that may or may not have direct relevance for them. Right. Um, and feeling respected is critical. It's core to uh, effective persuasion. If a, if the recipient of information doesn't feel respected and heard, it is going to be impossible to persuade them and bring them along with you. So demonstrating that you've done the work to understand um, their their situations um, also enables them to more easily connect with you. And I think you were alluding that uh, to that too, Rob. So and connection is is key. Um, they won't engage actively. They'll look at their phone. They'll do all those other things and not actively engage if they're not feeling a connection to you, particularly at the onset of your communication. Um, and this preparation also paves the way for um, them to openly listen without the hindrance of judgments. Um, and again, those are just baked into how we think and we have no idea. So as, as someone who's going to make a presentation, as someone who's going to have a meeting with your um, small group or team, um, just know those things are flying through people's brains at every given moment. So making what you have to say relevant to them at, at the start, it's just essential. You're going to have far more productive interaction. Um, so we obviously people are asking, what steps can you take to understand your audience better before the meeting before the presentation uh, starts. That's that's uh, that's preparation. Um, I'm going to tell you two ways that you can do that. So there's some really basic things that you should do. If it's a situation where you don't know the people, say this isn't your team, and you're going to um, meet them perhaps for the first time, you have to do the basic stuff, right? Um, if it's a larger group, then you'll only be able to get information such as, okay, what are their titles? What are their roles um, within the organization? Things you know that are general, but all of that it helps inform what what the the information that you prepare, um, so that you can link it to the role that they play. If it's a smaller gathering, I always do this. I look into their work experience. I find everything that I can about them that exists. So, um, obviously, the company website. Uh, places like LinkedIn. Um, who do you have, you know, connections in common with that you might ask um, about those folks? Do all of that due diligence. The more you know about them, and the more that you can cite things that may be connections to them, um, the the easier your interactions will be. Um, another thing that I suggest you do is consider sending. Um, we do this all the time. It's it's a mini survey to the participants. So say. You know, often we'll be getting in, up in front of uh, groups of any size from like five to, you know, 30, um, sometimes more. We send a mini survey in advance and we do that through Google Forms, but you can do it however you like. You know, if you use something like SurveyMonkey, if you use Constant Contact, whatever, there's a million ways that you can do this. We send a mini survey um, to learn as much as we can about the individual situations of each person participant. So obviously that's going to inform all the material we present and it's super effective. So let me give you one example of what that looks like um, to kind of get your head around it. We um, were brought in to conduct a workshop with, it was about nine participants, um, very hands-on two-day workshop to help foster executive presence and presentation skills for these rising mid-level managers at a, a telehealth company that was exploding. And these mid-level managers, um, they were great at what they uh, did, their functions in the organization, and they had real potential for moving into leadership positions, but they weren't perceived um, at, to be as professional and as effective uh, by the leadership team as they needed to be to be able to advance, right? So they're uh, one of the person, one of the people rather in the C-suite recognized this was a barrier to their success and um, reached out to me. We had a conversation about the situations um, facing each of these individuals. And we can we have all the basics for conducting this workshop. But what I realized was every one of these folks had a very unique situation. Three of them uh, were English as a second language mm -hmm. learners. 
um, they had come from, you know, totally different countries. So they didn't even have that in common. Um, I needed to really get at the heart of what was, uh, impacting every one of these folks. So, um, our survey was, was constructed. It took them about 10 minutes to complete this, but it was constructed to get at things like what's their level of comfort with presenting? How much experience do they have presenting? What types of environments do they most often present in? And to whom are they most often presenting? And what do those situations look like? Um, what do they feel they're good at or bad at in general, in all, a lot of different aspects of business? Um, I wasn't just asking them about presentation uh, skills and comfort and expertise or lack thereof. Um, all of these things helped us form that picture of what do we really need to get at during this interaction with these folks for them to walk away feeling like I actually learned something that's going to make a difference for me in my business life. And at the onset of the meeting to get them to feel this dedication of two days of my time is 100% going to be worth it. So I need to sit up in my seat, interact, engage, um, and make the most of this that I possibly can. So after we collected the inputs from this mini survey, we put it all into um, charts and graphs. And the first eight slides of the opening up of the whole experience was feeding the information back to them, not just to say, this is what we learned, but we followed on to that with, great, so this is everything that you told us. And now this is how the entire workshop, this experience together, it has been constructed to address all of the things that you've cited as important, all of the things that you told us are deficit areas, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I have never had a better experience um, than this one with the participants being so eager to engage. And these are people who were heavily overloaded with work, just had far too much to do, but they still, they separated from their day-to-day. -day. They completely engaged with the experience. And then the feedback that they gave us after the workshop um, specifically cited how uh, effective it was because we had bothered to go learn about their individual situation. So um, just one example, the preparation in advance and the usage of uh, a tool like that really can make a huge difference. I really, I really like that, Eileen, because what you're doing, you're not only finding out what their specific needs are, which is going to help further the engagement, which you just alluded to, but it's also going to put a little on them as well. It's going to say, what are your priorities? Think a little more deeply about you know what's important to you. And I can tell you in several instances of some of the clients I've worked with, one of my favorite things to do, it's not the pre-survey as you're talking about, which I think is a brilliant way to get in there and to really understand their needs. But what I'll do sometimes is we'll have a presentation. Obviously, you come in prior to a presentation, whether it's a survey or not, and you're saying, what, where are your issues? Where, where do you need help? And, and you talk about that and tailor that. But during a presentation, sometimes at the end, I will leave a blank page and I'll be working with somebody from the marketing department for one of my clients. And it'll be, it'll say priority. So it may be one sector of the business here for this uh, mid-cap financial services firm. And it'll say priorities. Then it will say benefit. Like what's the benefit of that priority? And then it'll be um, a, a factor, a figure, a number to back it up, a stat. And so we start talking about this and you would be surprised the difficulty really smart people have sometimes in when it comes to articulating what those priorities are. Let's put them in order. Let's give a, again, let's give a proof point. And then at the end, let's give a stat that, that backs it up. Why is it so important? And, but once they get talking about it, once you make them think, once you put it on them a little bit, and, and you ask them to share those things, it can really be a productive conversation. And to your point about people that were overextended that didn't probably, might not be fully engaged in your conversation. I find it the same way sometimes with some of the clients when they, they, they kind of start off like, hmm. And then once you really dig in with them there, that and you find out what those priorities are and then they have to articulate them clearly and then they may push back on each other and say no i think this is more important than that 
it, it really is a great exercise. And, and what you want to do, as you know, in any engagement is making sure that people are fully invested in it. Absolutely. You um, just had me thinking about a great article that was published in Harvard Business Review, not more than a week or two ago, um, that was uh, talking about continuous learners. And the, the section of the article that your comments just reminded me of was the usage of progressive questions or progressing questions, I believe, is how they characterize them. Um, and I, I'm thinking, wow, in advance of interactions um, that, like of the type that so many of us have on a daily basis, and even formal meetings with your teams, sending some progressing questions to them in a Google form or whatever uh, version again, we you might get some really interesting insight. Like I'm thinking about what if you're about to embark on a slight restructuring of your department and you need people to really um, understand how how it's going to work and their roles in it. Maybe you send progressing questions in advance and get some feedback on things such as, um, you know, what would your role look like if, um, you know, artificial intelligence uh, was infused or a robot was involved? You know, questions that just kind of make them stop and think mm-hmm. um, uh, at the big picture level. It'd be really interesting to gather input like that before a meeting of that nature and kind of open up with it. Um, there's just so many ways that you can get people's input ahead of time and reflect it back to them so that it's not only interesting or relevant, but just, you know, they just feel like, boy, they care about what I think. You know? Yeah. Really on a, on a basic human level, the, the caring about what you think and also, Hey, my input mattered. Hey, I'm going to listen because they might bring up something that I said, you might more listen a little bit more intently. And I think those are really important factors when you're talking about this sort of thing. Absolutely. So I want to dig a little deeper into what you said earlier, Eileen, about some of the audiences, who the audiences are internally, externally. And again, here, we're not suggesting that you have different messages for each one of your various audiences. We're talking about understanding how to deliver that message, that consistent message that will be interpreted by them. For instance, depending on what kind of company you run or you work for, you could have as many as eight audiences. And I talk about this with my clients all the time. First of all, internal. The most basic one, we talk about it all the time, is employees. Getting them to buy in and understand what you are trying to accomplish is vital. If you don't get buy-in from your employees, from the other people in leadership, you're going to have a very hard time pushing out, pushing it out externally. So when we talk about internal and external comms, you know, people go, oh, internal, I get it. External, I get it. But really, it starts with internal because as a company, you have to be unified in what you're saying to the public. And if everybody internally gets it, you're going to have a, a, large, a bigger chance for success. The next audience is the board and the shareholders. I, I kind of put, I put them together, although you could separate them if you wanted to. You have to be able to clearly communicate your vision to them because, as you know, They have considerable influence, especially the board, and you will want them and need them on your side. And shareholders, you know, by virtue of being a shareholder, they also have considerable influence. The next audience is your clients and your customers. This is more outward facing now. The first couple of groups were more internal. Everything you do, you know, the the existence of your business need to be done with your clients and your customers overall experience top of mind. Everything else you do, all the work that you put in has to be done because you want the outcome for your customers and your clients because that's going to be very public and that's going to make or break you as a company. Their overall experience has got to be one of your top priorities. And then sometimes you might be in a business where you have to adhere to some of the rules of government agencies. Some of you might uh, have government compliance that you have to keep an eye on pretty intently. So you must respect the power that the government wields here and you need to make sure that your message to whomever that is, um, is clear and is concise and and is credible. Then you have the media, oh boy, the media. This is where I made my bones for years. This is the external audience that companies spend the most time worrying about for obvious reasons. 
Eileen, I think we could do a whole podcast on best practices for this, but for this discussion, mm-hmm. you've got to control your message, especially when you get into the media. So if you're giving, you know, if, if you're doing brand building, that's one thing. You tell everybody how great you are and that's it. Uh, and I, I don't mean to oversimplify brand building. What I'm saying is you're not getting pushback on varying points of view other than yours in the public domain. And you might have some people that might want to challenge your message. So the media, you have to understand, here's my message. I'm going to stay on message. And I understand that people are either going to disagree with that message that are going to be in a particular story that's been written or broadcast, or um, somebody's going to be trying to knock me off my stride a little bit in the media. So that's the one that most people spend time on for obvious reasons. Advertisers, if you are spending money on paid media, this, as I just said a second ago, when I was talking about brand building, this is your golden opportunity to define your company on your terms. I think everybody knows that, but it's, uh, it's, it's one of the audiences that you really have to think about, especially when you're putting forth marketing dollars and sales dollars to do that. Then you have thought leadership. Here we're talking about presenting at a conference or a seminar where you are front and center and you're seen as a subject matter expert. And this is your opportunity to be in front of that audience. You were talking about it before, Eileen, you know, going on a webinar, going before an audience and, and making sure that you know who that audience is. What's going to make them say, I'm going to sit up and listen here. I care about this. And it's a golden opportunity to build to build what you're trying to build for your company. When you can say, Eileen Rochford, the CEO of the Harbinger Group, is our featured guest today or is on this panel. That just helps you. And so you need to make sure that that audience is tended to as well. And finally, the public. Their opinion of you will be shaped how you based on how you handle your messaging with some of these other groups, especially the media, because having spent years in that um, in the media, it is a conduit for the public, as we said before, and it can drive public opinion. So this is really important to understand. The public is being shaped by what's being done, you know, customers, clients, advertising, media. So you can see that by the time that you have dealt with all of them, that's shaping your public perception from, from the public. <laughs> yeah. No question about it. Well, I know recently, Eileen, you had an experience as we're talking about all these different audiences with a situation for someone who did customize, um, who didn't customize a pitch to you. And you understood as a communications expert, you saw how ineffective it was. And that's one of the reasons that we said, hey, we want to talk about this subject in a podcast because it really, really affected you. Why don't you tell people about it? Absolutely happy to. Um, so in our neighborhood, there's uh, been some just, you know, violence, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, no one, thankfully, has been hurt, but there's been a lot of random shootings. Um, I don't know if people call it random when we're told that it's largely gang interaction driven. So, you know, it's random. In don't, sense. don't worry. It's gang. It's gang related. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so <clears throat> it's, it's random in the sense that the times of day vary, there's shootings happening, uh, on the, you know, within a block of me, two blocks of me. Uh, the most recent one was, uh, between two cars and it actually happened in the intersection on the corner where my house is located. And, so these are happening, you know, increasing level. It's interesting in the city of Chicago, shootings like that, unless someone is hurt, uh, it is treated as damage to property. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the crime statistics that get reported, because in so many of these instances, people aren't being hurt, uh, it, you're not seeing the uptick in violence in the data. So that's kind of an interesting thing that people may or may not know. So. Um, it's, it was this development, uh, continuing development, uh, disturbing enough, uh, that we asked our aldermen to meet with the neighbor, uh, the neighborhood, uh, days after this most recent act of violence that it took place at two fifty in the morning. There were, um, there was automatic gunfire, uh, spraying as many as 30 gunshots on, uh, you know, directly in front of my street or my house. 
Um, and in the middle of the street, it's where it's, you know, it started in your mind house and, and continued about half a block up until the uh, car that was shooting sped off. So think of all the houses and people inside those houses um, who were, you know, in some very serious danger potentially when that happened. So this was a very emotional time, um, you know, elements of trauma for sure. You know, you're terrified out of your woken up in a terrified state at that hour. Uh, people who experience this all the time, um, I can't even imagine the pain and uh, lasting impact uh, on their lives because this is an isolated incident directly to me, but it was bad enough, just the isolated incident. So we asked the alderman to come and there were 150 or so, um, some estimate 200 people who came uh, for this discussion with the alderman about the situation of escalating violence in the neighborhood. And uh, I hats off uh, to her for agreeing to come and to uh, interact with her constituents on such a raw, real level, uh, just on our street corner. This wasn't a professionally organized inside with speakers and security. It was just come on out and everybody's at the same level. Uh, we, we blocked off the street. So it was a very unique situation, but here's what happened. Um, the, the type of responses that the alderman gave to the questions that were posed about this escalating developing situation were really, I don't want to say that they were canned. They did have that feel, but the issue was more that she wasn't actually hearing what was behind the questions. Mm -hmm. She was providing facts and information about processes in city government here in Chicago processes related to resource allocation when it comes to the Chicago Police Department. Issues uh, or recent information about the, the mayor's, the city budget that passed and elements of that funding. The questions were about what's being done to address this, this right here, right now situation. And the answers that were given were either about process, which is when you hear that as someone who's been through, you know, somewhat traumatizing experience. So raw, that's so raw and recent. And all you're hearing about are facts, figures, process, current state, if you will. Um, things like, oh, well, um, resources aren't allocated here because these aren't air quotes, real violence mm -hmm. acts because people aren't being hurt in, in no way does that address the question that's a, or she'll, she also uh, provided lots and lots of information about uh, violence interruption programs right. that are, that are just at their infancy and being introduced here, either in this ward or in the city, those things are going to take a, 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 quite a long time to take seed and everyone in our neighborhood I don't think I could say everyone, you can never say that, but largely the majority are in favor of, of moving in that direction, meaning, of course, police don't prevent crimes, right? addressing the systemic issues that are at the root of crime incidents. That's that makes all the sense in the world. Right. Nobody debated that. But you can't just talk about the long term when you're talking to constituents who are, you know, in a situation like this or any other, frankly, in my opinion, you have to be able to bridge the two. So she didn't bring the right messaging because she didn't ask questions in advance of the people who at, you know, who were the organizers of the event in terms of um, what, what will people want to hear? We provided questions to her in advance so she had every opportunity to kind of dig a little deeper, learn a little more. Um, it just, it, it left a very hollow feeling, pretty unsatisfactory. I think for most of the people who were listening, I learned some new things, but it was an, almost an hour and a half of question and answer period or, or a period of question and answers um, where the basic question of as, as alderman, what are you specifically going to do right now to fight for whether it's resources or um, things as simple as uh, 
keeping our streetlights on, which had been off for more than a week and 10, 12 days, actually, um, getting them back on in a timely manner because little things like streetlights, speed bumps, all that has everything to do with the likelihood of crimes in, you know, happening in any neighborhood, wherever. Um, but she, all she talked about was the long-term game, the long-term view, processes, nothing that would make any person listening for that hour and a half feel any better. And there's one more thing that I want to highlight here that I think is really critical. And this is a key learning everybody can take away um, from uh, today's episode. And that is leading with empathy in any situation. Always right. Leading with empathy. So there were multiple opportunities in this 90 minute period where the alderman could have responded immediately to a question with um, a response grounded in, I'm so sorry that you endured that experience that had to have been so traumatizing. It was, she would get to that point five, six, seven minutes later. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we were talking about this at the start of this episode. You need to address the, the things that are on people's minds at the onset of your communication with them so that you remove those barriers. You don't say it five minutes into an answer to a question, especially not when it was an empathetic response that really was warranted uh, for the question. Right. So leading with empathy isn't just a catchphrase. It's a actually listen to the words that people are saying in questions and situations like this and think about what are you hearing? What is their pain underneath that question? Is there um, worry about their children? What is it? And, and start there. Those are instincts. And, and I have a couple of thoughts about what you're saying here. One of them is politicians, and I don't want to paint them all with a broad brush because there's, there's all different types. They're often so over-rehearsed that you could ask any question and they're going to give you what answer they want to give you. Now, on a certain level, um, I, I think communications experts would find that a little admirable because I know oftentimes when we deal with our clients, we're like, if you're in a situation like this and you get knocked off stride a little bit, you need to acknowledge, but first you need to acknowledge the concern, which it sounds like this person didn't do, but then talk about what's a winner for you, where you want to, the, the space you want to talk. So, so on one hand, I can understand that philosophy. On the other hand, though, it's sort of like being tone deaf because you're talking about a very specific issue and people have been traumatized. And then she's talking about the long game and violence interruption and things of that nature. So I think this is, I think this happens to politicians a lot, Eileen. I think mm-hmm. that they're so over rehearsed yeah. and they have been given one, you know, that stay on this tiny path right here and do not veer from it. And it doesn't matter what question anybody from the audience asks you, this is how you're going to answer it. And when they do that, and when they appear so disconnected from the conversation, from the give and take, they lose credibility. No doubt. Yeah. I will say that um, she may have brought some of her own heavily overlaid on her responses, her own uh, perspective and bias to a degree. Mm-hmm. I think for um, in this, in our ward, there's, violence at different levels. And it's not like it happens. It may happen every day and I'm not aware of it, but there are uh, shootings where p- people die. This happens all over yeah. the city of Chicago, sadly. Unfortunately, yeah, at, at too high Very a rate. Very sadly, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and it happens here in this ward. Um, so she's experienced situations where uh, people were uh, maimed for life. People have died. This was not one of those situations. And I get that but it's heading in that direction. And so the mindset of the people who were her audience over those 90 minutes was um, we don't want that to happen here. And it's terrifying that it is, it's, it's heading that way. Of course. It is. I think the mindset that she brought to it was not one of understanding and validation of the feelings of the audience she was addressing, but rather well, this wasn't an event where someone was maimed or killed. Kind of, what's the big deal? A That's little a bit. Great, well, and, and empathy, 
And that's a really good, this is a great illustration of kind of the point that we're talking about. And I know before we wrap things up, we want to give some tips, but I want to tell another quick story about something very specific when it comes to messaging. Now, this is a story about how a company, they got it right. And another one got it wrong when talking about the very same subject. So early on in the pandemic in the spring of 2020, companies were uncertain how COVID-19 and the business fallout would affect their staffing numbers. I think a lot of people, if you think back to that time, you can realize what's going on in my organization. Organizations everywhere, they're assessing their needs with nearly everyone working remotely. There was natural anxiety about what those needs might be. So Let's focus on one audience for a moment, the most immediate internal audience, and that is your employees. So one of my clients did a very good job from the beginning about communicating with their employees. And when asked about whether there would be any staff reductions, in other words, am I going to lose my job? The firm's response, paraphrasing, was we're looking at all manner of cost savings at this point. Staff reductions are one of the ways to do that, obviously, but it is not our intent to have layoffs but we have to look at everything. Now, that's a reasonable answer. You're not giving away the keys to the kingdom. You're not telling everybody exactly what you are or aren't going to do, but you're being honest. You're being transparent as much as you can be about a very sensitive subject like that. So fortunately for that client, they didn't have to lay anyone off. They had one of their best years ever. That's terrific. Conversely, another company of which I am very familiar with the inner workings, spent weeks denying that layoffs were imminent. People would ask and ask and ask, and they'd tell everyone, we're fine. You have nothing to worry about, nothing. Well, weeks later, there weren't layoffs. There were massive layoffs. So think about that internal audience you just lost 100% credibility with, but also the fact that it was handled so poorly that the details crept out into the public. So now their external audience knows how misleading they were, and that does not help your brand. I know this is a messaging discussion, mm -hmm. but this is how it affected your brand. So that's one topic, layoffs early in the pandemic, 2020, one company that did it right, who were as transparent as they could be and tried to be honest, and one that just flat out lied to them. And, and that's why one of those companies is really good, and one of them is not really good. And the first scenario where they were honest, that demonstrated respect. And we talked yes. about that earlier as being essential in so many ways, you know, to being persuaded, all kinds of things are wrapped up into feeling respected and of course feeling heard and um, oh, yeah. feeling like your needs, wants, et cetera, are uh, incorporated into the messaging. That's, it's just, um, it's so basic, but it's, a, it's shocking to me how often that gets screwed up. Mm -hmm. it, it's, um, so it's a great, great reminder. Those two examples are excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. And I, and I know right now you have, we want to share some tips with everybody and they're a little bit different, but they are, I think, very germane to this discussion. Well, let's see. It's a bit of a, a recap and a few new ideas here. Um, and I'll, I'll roll right through here. Um, again, in advance, learning everything that you can, uh, whether it's an um, or another social platform or just your basic Google searches, looking on company websites. So digging in as much as you can to find out specifics about your participants, especially in small group environments. That's tip number one. The use of Google Forms uh, of some type or survey type of any type, whatever format you're comfortable with, gaining input that gives you insight into um, the what's important to these folks? What do they need from you? Uh, what are their various you know biases or leanings that can affect how they'll receive your message? All that stuff you can accomplish so much by asking for input in advance, and you know just being disciplined to do that and not rushing to create a canned presentation that you've given to five different audiences. <laughs> you will be amazed at how much better the experience is after you've gained input like this from a survey, for example. Another way you can do that uh, to learn more is maybe you use media monitoring or another tool. We use um, Cision, uh, mm -hmm. the communications cloud. It's really good. To learn about all kinds of things um, in the moment or either recent or digging back into you know, a little bit of their history, the organization or people. You need to know what's impacted them. You know those those events that have happened that um, are going to be uh, relevant 
to any guidance that you give or may have had an impact on them that will create heightened sensitivities. All that stuff's important, you know. I call them breadcrumbs. You got to follow the breadcrumbs. <laughs> um, also, talking to people in your network who may be connected to some of them or other people within the organization to see what firsthand accounts, you know, might you be able to get. I love doing that. Sometimes I've had received the best guidance and advice uh, by taking the time and putting forth the effort to connect with actual people in my network who might know others at that company. Um, knowledge, being cognizant of uh, what's happening in their industry. You know, is it growing? Is it shrinking? Is it under uh, governmental scrutiny? You know, what what are those other things that may be happening? It's super important to educate yourself so that you can bake that into any of the content that you present so you don't look, frankly, uh, stupid. <laughs> if you don't, don't want to do that. Don't want to do Nobody that. wants to look stupid. Right. Um, th- those are some tips. Obviously, this is a biggie. Just don't make any assumptions about anything. You don't want to go too hard in one direction um, on an assumption because that can totally, totally um, backfire. And I, I, I always recommend that people just kind of um, be a little more either general or soft. You might have a clue mm-hmm. that you, from one of the bed, breadcrumbs or multiple multiple breadcrumbs that you found, but don't assume that your conclusion is completely accurate because you know you're not them. That's just a bit of advice. Great, great stuff. Really, they like talked it. about um, the uh, use of progressing questions. I think that's a cool idea to go back to and just remind folks the progressing questions that are referenced in the. Harvard Business Review article that I'll post in the notes. That's a really interesting technique. You can either use it in direct emails to the folks you'll be working with or surveys or another means, but really getting them to think at a higher level with progressing questions that takes you out of the immediate in the concrete practical application of of the situation, but gives you insight into how the folks think and just opens up to a whole new avenue of um, ways to communicate with them. Agreed. And that's it. Well, those, those are some, some those of my are, tips. Those are good tips. Now, you've given people some very useful tips here, and you've drilled down on a couple of things uh, a couple of times because it's something you want people to leave with and you don't want them to forget. I'm going to give you some tips now about how to be at your best And I give this advice in presentations all the time toward the end of the presentation, after we've gone through all the heavier lifting. And while some of this might seem obvious and basic, it really helps you get into your zone. So this is before you start thinking about all the things that Eileen's talking about and all the preparations and the tools you can use. How do you how do you prepare yourself? First thing is practice, 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 practice. You were talking about preparation earlier, Eileen. Make sure you have your pitch down perfectly, which are going to make your thoughts clear and well-organized. And also that means research. A lot of the things we've been talking about in this podcast, visualization, see the success and the buy-in if you expect to actually have it. Visualize that you know, if you're in person shaking hands and, hey, we've got, a, we've got a deal or somebody giving you the green light to proceed on a, on a project or uh, something that you're working on. Now we get into s- some more of the things related to you specifically, sleep. For people who need a fair amount of it, if you don't go into a presentation without enough sleep, if you're somebody who needs it and you're dragging, it's not going to end well. So if you're somebody that says, I need seven, eight hours of sleep, make sure you get it and make sure that you feel well-rested. Well Workout. So I think I can speak safely for both of us, Eileen, when I say working out is part of our daily routine. And I know for me, it helps me keep me refreshed, helps keep me refreshed and helps me stay focused. And I think you feel the same way. No doubt. Absolutely. Working out before a big day, even if you think, oh, I got to get up and do that 10,000 times more. So yeah. give yourself another 30, get in the workout. Do it all the time. I just did it this morning too. Got up uh, extra early just so you know I could do it. Caffeine. Some people are like, oh my gosh, I can't function unless I have one cup, two cups, three cups, whatever it is. Whatever you need, if it's coffee, tea, you name it, um, make sure that if that's your thing, if that gets you going, if that gets you sharp, 
make sure that you're in your wheelhouse uh, of comfort there. And finally, Just don't well, overdo yeah, it. Don't overdo it. Don't don't do seven cups of coffee and then you're bouncing off walls and making everybody nervous. Right. Don't don't do. I'm not suggesting that. So I don't want your takeaway to be. Rob says drink more coffee. Pound I'm just espresso, saying. Espresso says there's Rob a, Johnson. There's a there's a sweet spot there. And if you've been drinking coffee long enough, you know where it is. And if that's something you need, then great. And finally, this is another strategy that I use personally, meditation. For me, it helps calm me 20 minutes, calms me, it clears my mind. And before a presentation or a pitch, it really works for me. So those are just a couple of things as you prepare to do all the things that Eileen was talking about in preparation for um, your pitch. Great advice. I'll toss in one more. Um, Yeah. This is my fave and people just forget it. It's so basic. Um, smile because it will immediately make you more um, in, likable, first of all. And it also chemically in your brain does positive things. So even if you're forcing it a little bit, put on that smile. It just does uh, some pretty interesting things uh, to our brain chemistry that uh, helps us calm down, feel better. It's, it's weird, but true. Um, and then the take deep breaths sometimes, um, even though I have a lot of experience presenting for no logical reason that particular day, I might feel like in the 20 seconds before getting up there, this surge of nerves. And if I take these deep breaths, just, you know, real, so it's like four beats in four beats out. I uh, do that three or four times and you're good to go. I mean, it it's incredible. Every, slows everything difference. down for you. Yeah. Slows everything incredible. down for you. Yeah. So I hope everybody has heard some good advice here. That's what we're always striving to do is to make the time you spend with us really useful um, and actionable um, at the end of the day, thought provoking for sure. Um, so that concludes another episode of Can You Hear Me? I'm Eileen Rochford, CEO of the Harbinger Group. And I'm Rob Johnson, president of Rob Johnson Communications. We thank you for listening once again, and we hope you'll join us the next time. In the meantime, you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.